This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Since the origins of the first human settlements in the Venetian Lagoon, fishing has represented the most important source of food for local communities for over a thousand years. The Venetian lagoons lie in the northwest Adriatic Sea and are the largest single lagoon system of the Mediterranean basin, with a surface of around 550 square kilometres. They are a transition zone between the sea and the mainland and are separated from the Adriatic Sea by two sandbar islands. Three main inlet openings, Lido, Malamaco and Chioga, connect the lagoons with the Adriatic Sea. Fishing in the lagoons has been closely managed since the Middle Ages. Records show fisheries laws from 1171, where they banned fishing gear and practices deemed harmful to the lagoon's ecosystem and to protect fish from over-exploitation. Fisherman Massimo Tagliapatera and artist Alison Zerflu are locals from the island of Burano, the epicentre of artisanal fishing in the northern area of the Venetian lagoons. Um, so my name is Alison Zerflu and I live here in Burano in the lagoon and work with the, with the fishermen, notably uh, Massimo Tagliapietra, who is a master fisherman in the lagoon. Massimo was born and raised in Burano. He was born and raised here, um, jumped in a boat as before the age of five, was immediately in the boat and <clears throat> never looked back. That's what he loved from the, from the beginning. And he grew up rowing, so it was before there were motors in the lagoon. And he remembers um, rowing to market, rowing out to go fishing. Anywhere he had to go, he had to row. So he is the kind of guy who never wants to row ever again. <laughs> he just, the minute he got a motor, he was like, he goes, look, I can just go click <laughs> and we go. So he has no interest in any of that. Um, and for good reason, I understand that. He um, didn't like school. He didn't like sitting uh, on the school benches or, or any kind of book learning at all. He, he just wanted to be on the water in the water, fishing whatever he could fish. For this reason, he's one of the few fishermen in, in the lagoon who has fished all of the kinds of fishing. He's done all of the types of fishing. And um, he's rare for that. He immediately got his own boat and started, as a young man, was fishing as soon as he could get up in the morning until late at night. Then he was, for a while, had his own, how do you say this, like a funky, like a bench uh oh how do you say that he had his own stall at the fish market yeah so he decided he was going to try that he he was working his own stall at the fish market and of course this is a very lucrative thing he enjoyed that but uh he missed he did this what for a decade i think and then he missed going out into the he really missed being on the water and decided that lucrative or not he preferred the life of a fisherman <clears throat> So he let, he gave that up and returned to fishing and has done that ever since. Uh, Burano is north of Venice. So, you know, Venice is, is situated in the Venetian Lagoon, which is like a croissant. And it, it goes from the Trieste, or anyway, up in this area. No, I, that, scratch that. Let's just say it goes from Jesolo uh, all the way down to, uh, to Chioggia. And in the middle of this lagoon is Venice, as everybody knows it, a collection of islands connected to the mainland by a bridge. 
But that is not where Venice started. Venice started up in the north in um, near Altino. Right off Altino is a little island called Torcello. And just, just you know, a two-minute boat ride from Torcello is Burano. And Burano is, this is where Venice started. It was in the 5th century when the Altinians sort of moved over into the lagoon to escape the Lombardian invasion. It was, it was a fisherman's paradise, basically. They had come here because they were safe from this invasion. It became one of the greatest populations of the Adriatic wetlands of that time. And the first cathedral is called a Basilica, Basilica di Santa Maria Assunta. And here was the political power of Venice, the economic power, everything. When trade started coming into Venice near San Marco, uh, first in San, San Pietro and then in San Marco, uh, the, the economic power moved down to Venice and the religious power followed. And up here remained the heartland of Venice, the grasslands, the, um, the fishing center. Um, so as you know, all of the little islands in Venice, each island has its own purpose. Morano is for glass. Sant'Erasmo is was fed the Republic of the Serenissima. And Burano is the fishing, the fisherman's island up here in the north. The fishermen of the Venetian lagoons are a special mob, hunters by habit but environmentalists by nature. One of the most unique aspects of their fishing is the practice of valicultura. This process represents an interface between capture fisheries and aquaculture. In part adjustment, it is the practice of collecting seed material or baby fish from the wild and subsequently growing them to marketable size in captivity. It's the ultimate sustainable aquaculture. So if you look at the different kinds of fishermen in the lagoon, down in Chioggia you have the fishermen that are really linked with the sea. It's a point right on the sea between the lagoon and the sea. <clears throat> They're the ones who first started crab fishing. They're a hardier folk, also sweet. But if you come up to the Judeca near Venice, you have the Judeca fishermen who are sort of a hybrid between, and this is of course very generalized, between Chioggia fishermen and Burano fishermen. But if you come up, then you come up into the north by Burano, you're really deep into the lagoon. They go fishing for recreational purposes, but these aren't sea fishermen, these are lagoon fishermen, which has a big impact on their culture and and the fish that they that they fish obviously they tend to be the sweet fishermen who are artists who are in love with beauty i mean this is of course my my impression they're they're most many of them are painters and they're doing fish like uh, mullet sea bream uh soft shell crab uh, goby fish branzino and they are much uh, affected by the fishing valleys of the north, whereas Kyoja fishermen are, are linked with the sea, also doing some valleys. But up here, they're mostly concentrated on softshell crab and, and clams and uh, fishing valleys, which, of course, there are few left. So the fishing valleys are a traditional way of harnessing these mud flats, these barena, harnessing their natural ability with uh, to collect fish and keep them. So in these barren or mudflats, if you look from the sky downward, Google Maps is great for this. Um, you can see these little tiny rivers going through the barena, which are tiny canals or gebbi. And what they've done in the past is, is close these off with a series of doors and tunnels 
developed over time uh, to keep the fish inside. It's not a farm. They don't give any food to the fish in them. So Massimo t- traditionally will go out into in this early, early spring and fish fingerlings, teeny tiny fingerlings, sort of, you know, like a pencil tip uh, in size. And he'll fish up, you know, 100, 200,000 of them, sea bream, ranzino, cefalo, and will take them to his, to these holes in the barina that, that are there, natural, of course, natural closed up canals. And he'll put them in there until he has 100,000. And then he sells these into the fishing valleys. So people, the, the owner of the fishing valley will have, um, so the series of doors, he'll introduce the, the, the fish into these, into these sort of closed up canals. And then every day with the rising and falling of the tide, they'll open the door on one side and close the door on the other side and so on and so forth. So as to oxygenate the water every day with new fresh water from the lagoon. The fish are growing in there and the fishermen will come by to check on them. He'll maybe fish some crabs in the lagoon and, and, and introduce a, a, a wheel, wheelbarrow full of crabs um, for them to eat. Or if he happens to catch some mullet, he might, you know, sometimes he'll have the luck, he'll, he'll, he'll catch, you know, 50,000 baby mullets or whatever, you know, even, even a couple hundred and he'll bring them and he'll introduce them into the valleys for the fish to eat or to grow or whatever. And so they grow naturally in this, in this closed up valley. And at the end of the season, when the water is getting, um, warmer out in the ocean and colder in the lagoon, he'll open the, the door on one side. He'll set a series of grates into the into these um, sort of canals. And so when the fish swim toward the warmer water and want to leave the valley to go to the ocean, they, he can catch them by another grate behind. And so suddenly they're trapped in this, in this valley and all he has to do is come and scoop them out with a net. Unlike many other forms of fishing, the diversity of work between the wild catch and the Velocatura aquaculture means the fishermen of Burano have amongst the most diverse and unique careers in professional fishing. Well, I mean, since he's done all the kinds of fishing, then it's there, his typical days vary. Um, but now, if we talk about now, um, now, right now he's doing mostly Santa Cristina. He's, um, and spending a little time for himself um, doing rod fishing. <laughs> So uh, before he would get up very early and like in, and do, it depends on the season, right? Some days he has to fish in the middle of the night. Some days he has to fish in the day. It depends on what type of fish he's doing. So he doesn't have a typical day, actually. Um, sometimes he comes back at two in the morning. Sometimes um, he's fishing only in the morning. Right now he's going out early in the morning after, he, well, when it's warming up, he doesn't like the cold anymore. So um, around nine, He's going out to Santa Cristina right now, and he's uh, setting the nets to protect the fish from the cormorants. We have a big cormorant problem here in Venice. So we're spending a lot of time right now setting nets up over the fishing valleys. And um, now he's starting to scoop them up. So he's seen a lot come toward the door, and he'll spend anywhere from five to six hours um, catching now Branzino and Orata in the fishing valleys. Then he's going to take them back to the market. And he, he's not fishing 
full time right now. So he's spending six to seven hours maximum out in the water. His typical day starts every morning. I get up. Okay, what you really need to know Massimo is every morning he gets up. First thing he does is have cafe latte, a huge mug of milk with coffee. Goes out and smokes his cigarette on the stairs. You can find him every morning in front of his house doing that. And then walks down to the Gato Nero for coffee. Okay, that's it. That is the thing that never changes, no matter what. But he fishes year-round. Yeah, that's, that's why it's hard to say, does he have a typical day? Because most fishermen have one type of fish. You know, we have vongole fishing, um, moeca fishing. So Domenica will do, Domenica will do moeca fishing. And then on the off season, he'll do sepia. So cuttlefish or, or something like this. But Massimo does all of the types of fishing. So it really depends honestly on his mood nowadays. When he was younger, it depended on the season and he was on it all the time, no matter what. Nowadays, he's just, he wants to enjoy, um, actually the process of fishing. In autumn or early spring at Venice's Rialto fish market, among the vast array of seafood, there's likely to be an abundance of live soft shell crabs or moeke from the lagoon. They have been harvested for about 300 years and are a delicacy on par with the white truffle. Like the white truffle, they require a high degree of skill to harvest and bring to market. Moeka, Moeka. Um, this is a, this is one of the most beautiful, in my opinion. Another really beautiful um, processes here in the lagoon. It's it's super time consuming. Um, one of the fishermen we know, who who is is quite known for this, is Domenico Rossi. Uh, he so a fisherman uh, will take. It's a long process. First, he'll go out in the spring and in the fall and spend six weeks setting up in the lagoon a series of zigzagged nets. So there, there are these wooden poles with nets attached. If you look, if you see in pictures, you can often see on the barena um, poles lined up. It's very poetic to see it, but it's actually, they're just drying. He'll take them and he sets them up in the lagoon in the shallower parts of the lagoon called a palude. And he'll do a zigzag with these nets. And then under the water, he takes sort of a tube, a net that looks like a long tube, and he'll, he'll attach this to the zigzag, all along the zigzag. And every day he comes out and he checks for crabs. So crabs have made their way into these nets. He, in his boat, he empties these nets into the boat where he has a, a sort of sorter, um, a, which is just a wooden table. Nothing, nothing mechanical. He'll take them. It's all done by hand, even today. He takes the crabs out. Now he'll have hundreds and hundreds every day. And he'll do an initial triage. So he stands there and he sees with his eyes which crabs are going to molt and which aren't. This is something that is almost impossible to learn. You have to grow up doing it. So he's, and, and they're doing it at lightning speed. So, I mean, um, he's just bum, bum, bum. Every crab he's not, that's not going to molt, he throws live back into the water. He ends up with a couple burlap sacks of, of crabs. He'll take them back to his, his little land where he has a, a shack and, and his equipment. And they're submerged under the water. He has wooden crab boxes. So he'll put these crabs into the crab boxes. They're, they live live in these crab boxes under the water. So in addition to going out every morning and checking the nets in the zigzag, he comes back to his land and he has to check the crab boxes because then every day he sees 
who's molting and who's not molting. And again, he does a triage. So he does this out in the lagoon and then he does it again at his house. And then he'll see, in here, he sees when they're soft. A crab that, I mean, I'm sure you know this as an expert of fish, but I'll explain it. Um, a crab has 24 hours to stay soft after it's lost its shell. So he takes them out soft and puts them in a box. And these he takes to restaurants or to market. And then, oh yeah, these, and then you would just fry them up and eat them whole. And if you, to fry them up is super easy. No egg, no nothing, just flour and in the oil. On colourful Burano, the azure blue facade of Trattoria Algata Nero is a landmark. Open since 1946, it is renowned for generous portions of fresh local seafood harvested from the Venetian lagoons. On a recent visit, there were over a dozen species of local, all-wild seafood. Fisherman Massi and restaurateur Massimo Bovo have a symbiotic relationship which delivers seafood of culinary excellence through their friendship. Massimo grew up uh, just a few houses down, so his whole entire life was has, has unfolded on this sidewalk, on this one street called Via Giudeca in Burano. Um, Everything is there. Grandma, his mom's house, his house, the Gatunero, his other house. You know, everybody's right there. So he grew up going every morning, walking by the Gatunero, and the nonna would prepare a, a, little, a little breakfast for him. And every day, every day for his entire life, from the day, unless he's been traveling somewhere, he has been at the Gatunero every single day. <laughs> so I mean there's just what else can you say and Masi is their best friends brothers basically uh, Masi from Gatunero dreams of being a fisherman so of course he, he and he is a fisherman he loves being a restaurant owner but quite frankly he'd rather be a fisherman if I'm honest and I think he's he's very he's very open about that um, and so Masi and Massimo when times are hard um, you can see they'll, they'll take a boat out and they go, they disappear and they go fishing. And I, what I've heard is that they don't talk. They just sit there and they just fish. And when Masi needs uh, something, a fish or some wine, or he's in a pinch, he calls Massimo and Massimo drops whatever he's doing and, and he gets that to him. And uh, there's, there's just a relationship of love and respect. And I mean, it's the relationship all of us would want, honestly, in friendship. Massimo will bring out, um, if he's fishing, if he catches a beautiful Branzino or whatever he catches, he'll bring it to, to Massi. Massi uses several fishermen because he really cares about using local fishermen as much as possible, unlike a lot of other places. He is committed to that, uh, which of course keeps prices higher, but also makes the, the life here authentic and real. And to, isn't that what we want? Sadly, like many wild catch fisheries around the world, the fishermen of the Upper Venetian Lagoons are literally a dying breed. Government regulations and ever industrialization of commercial fishing and a growing demand for their harvest is pushing the future of fishing in the region into a precarious position. Climate change is yet another major threat to the Venetian Lagoons. It's tragic march becoming a reality in the area. Oh, the future is very bleak. 
it's terrible. I'm, I don't want to bring a negative aspect to this conversation, but I, it breaks my heart all the time. Honestly, it's just a, it's a source of distress for me personally. Massimo is not as distressed because he said, ah, you know, that's what's happening to the world. You can't change it. And he tends to be, yeah, Bruanello, right? Work hard, play hard, accept what comes to you and make the best of it. Um, I tend to be a little bit more, <laughs> you know, fatalistic about it. And I'm sad to see this culture dying. Uh, for example, if we take the, if we take soft shell crab this year, because of global warming, we had droughts and very hot weather. We also have a huge increase in jellyfish. We have just seen the, the arrival of the box jellyfish in addition to the walnut jellyfish and these big jellyfish from the sea. What are these doing? is, well, any time you have an increased amount of jellyfish, this is not a good sign. We know that. They are clogging the fishing nets of the softshell crab, and the heat has killed most of the crabs. So we have almost no softshell crabs this year, very little. The ones that they were able to catch was difficult because the nets were clogged with jellyfish. So this is, hopefully this was a fluke here. Who knows? Um, this is a huge source of income for fishermen, fishermen like Domenico, who I saw his face, I've never seen his face look like it did this summer. I mean, he was just, <laughs> there just were no crabs. They were dying. Most of the fishermen will not let their kids become fishermen because they, the, politically it's not um, a good choice because they're not supported by our government. In fact, they talk, the government talks a lot about, oh, you know, the Venetians talk a lot about, oh, our beautiful lagoon and our beautiful fishing environment and traditional fishing. And the hotels love to advertise how beautiful that is, but it's dying. The European Union imposed net, net rules because they're in Brussels and they understand sea fishing. So, of course, you can use nets that have a certain sized hole to them. Well, in the lagoon, are you still there? Okay. Okay. In the lagoon, you uh, you cannot use these kinds of nets that you use for sea fishing because everything's smaller and finer here in the lagoon. And they don't understand that fishermen here actually sort things by hand, unlike most places that just use machines, right? Here, there's no killing of anything you're not eating. I've watched it. They do count fingerlings. They do tr use triage. They do throw things live back into the water. I watched it. And they don't make any exceptions for that. So the fishermen have to, they don't have the right to use the, the nets that are appropriate for the fish they're catching because they're applying these global rules to it. And this is, a, this is really difficult here. They're no longer Domenico who does soft shell crab fishing. Um, in order to know how to do soft shell crab fishing, you have to grow up on a boat with your dad seeing that. Well, Everyone wants to talk about the traditional fishing methods. The, the Moeke fishermen are no longer allowed to bring their son or their dad on the boat. Dad is usually doing the little work, sitting down in the boat, doing the little things he can do. And the son is on the, on the prow of the boat, learning and helping out. And, and dad is right in the middle, right? You have those three generations in the boat. And the fisherman is no longer allowed to have his grandpa or his son. So how do they expect that kind of a fishing technique to go on? You can't. The Burano fisherman is a rare and special species. 
part hunter, part environmentalist and part artist, often literally. Their broad range of skills and knowledge is only surpassed by their creativity and craftiness in how they conduct their job. The fishing guys here in Morano are some of my favorite people in the world. I mean, <clears throat> they're friendly, they're hardworking, so they're, they're a little bit Swiss in, the, in that they just, they get up and they, <laughs> they're organized and militant and they just get the job done. They're very hardworking, but they're fun loving. So when nothing gets their spirits down, like nothing, maybe if they lose a, a friendly regatta, maybe then something will get their spirits down. But they just, they never get down. When we had that, you know, high, well, the Aqua Grande of 2019, that really was a challenge for the city of Venice. Out here in Burano, I mean, the worst was Palestrina, it got hit, but up here, it also was a disaster for the community. And I noticed a difference just watching the different communities deal with that. And here, the next morning, I mean, everyone was on it. And when when the, the helpers, sort of this rescue squad, was helping Venice a lot, and when they finally made it up to Burano, the Buranelli looked at them and were like, what are you doing here? We don't need you. <laughs> we take care of our own. And you can just see it, like they just get up, it's cleaned immediately, they help their neighbors, they, it's just friendly. It's just friendly. It's like, we, they were standing in thigh high water, watching their homes be destroyed. And someone got out a, you know, bottle of Prosecco. And they're like, well, you can't beat it, you know. So they all shared a Prosecco and sang a song. And then they got back to work. And I just, this has really been very meaningful to watch because nothing gets them down. You know, this, you, you work hard, but you play hard. And then, and then you give each other a hand. That's, that's the kind of fisherman that I've seen. I've also seen fishermen like Massimo. Um, I watched him hand sew a net together because that's what they, what he does. He, he buys the netting and then he sews his own nets the way he needs them for different fishing techniques. The fishermen love their environment. They love their lagoon. They know about its beauty. They see that. They just really see the beauty that they have and the, and the fragility and, and they care about it. I think you can feel that here. The Upper Venetian Lagoon is a most magnificent and special place. It's hard not to love such a place if it's your office. I think what gets him back into the lagoon every day is his love of the silence. He, he loves to go out there and be quiet and watch the fish swimming under the water. He likes to put his hand in the water and the, for them to come to him, and he picks them, and get, they come into his hand. He, he is really one with the water. You can see it on him when you meet him. He is, he is the lagoon, and I mean that in a most authentic way. He is the lagoon, he's inside that nature, and he loves to go there and just morph into it and be, and be perfectly silent inside of it. I think that's the only thing for him that matters in terms of the lagoon. He's, he's really at a point of transition in the last couple of years. He's, he's going naturally from being a fisherman to just being a, a part of a, a fishing part. I can't, I don't know what word to use. Instead of fishing as his occupation, it's becoming just himself. He, he fishes when, it, when he needs to fish for also his soul. And I think he'll always fish because 
he could not survive without it, but he can't himself survive without it. It's it's the way he finds peace. It's the way he figures out his own problems. It's the way he he sort of deals with the problems of life as well. And I think he'll always fish as long as he is breathing forever. It's a part of his daily existence. It's part of who he is. It's not his job. It's for him, it's not his job. It's who he is. Me son pescaur. So he says, me son pescaur. I'm, I'm a fisherman in dialect. And when he says that to people, it's, you see it in his eyes. He's so proud and so sure of who he is. I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, you know, as opposed to someone like me who I'm doing a lot of different things and I'm interested in everything and I'm soaking up all kinds of stuff. Massimo's very simple. Me son pescaur. This is life. The fishermen and residents of Burano are as special as the region itself. Whilst the creep of climate change, the demands of a faster life and the inevitable costs of being an artisan all impact their day-to-day -day life, they are most amongst passionate, enthusiastic and committed people I've met in the seafood industry. What happens to them next will most certainly reflect the destiny of the local Venetian cuisine and of the region itself. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtales Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtalespodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app. Thank you.